I'll even like talk about Wakanda like I've been there. I'll be like, yeah, you know, in Wakanda, this is how such and such works. I hear it's great in the springtime. <laughs> Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Judy Stevens. And I'm Sana Amanat. And today we are talking to the New York Times bestselling author, Nick Stone. Her new book, Shuri, a Black Panther novel, comes out May 5th. Nick is just so fantastic. She is a very prolific author. She's written a number of great, thoughtful, young adult and middle grade books that are very popular. Books like Dear Martin, Clean Getaway, Jackpot. She's also written critically acclaimed essays like Letters to My Younger Self and How I Taught My Black Son About Racism. I was lucky enough to work with Nick on the Black Panther novel, Shuri, And Nick has done a great job all around advocating for better representation for people of color in media. And you can tell how passionate she is about these issues and all of the work that she does. And she brought a really unique point of view in Shuri particularly. I have worked in young adult content for a long time and it was pretty exciting to get her on this series because of what she could bring to it. She is super talented So if you're a fan of Black Panther, if you have kids who love to read who are just getting into the Marvel Universe, or if you're just a fan of really good storytelling, I think there is something for everyone here and you should be really excited to pick up this book. Sana and I recently called Nick and had a great conversation about her experiences as a writer, the process of writing Shuri, and what she really hopes for people to take away from this new novel. As a Black woman who was a Black girl who was constantly made fun of for being smart, having the opportunity to like write a character who is like me, who loves math, loves science, wants to pick the world apart and figure out how it works and then put it back together to make it work better, that has been an experience that is second to none. So let's jump right in and listen to our conversation with Nick Stone. Welcome, Nick, to the podcast. Hey. (laughs) We are all in different states. We're making it work. We are. You know what? I'm super thankful for modern technology because, like, where would we be if this was... 1999. Like, how would any of this be working? Nick, how's your quarantine life going? Honestly, it's not bad. It has been kind of a gift because I travel way too much for it to probably be healthy. (laughs) So I've had to sit down and be at my house with my family. And this is like the longest stretch that I've been home since like 2017. So... Yeah, I'm like, oh, I kind of like my house. Like, there's nice, cozy spaces and just so many things that I didn't even notice before because I was never here. What about your kids and your husband and your kids? you like them? <laughs> oh, boy. You still liking them? <laughs> you know, I do. Well, I have to say, like, I obviously knew about you before we met, but the biggest thing that I knew about you in particular was that you're so great at, like, marketing without marketing. You know, like you just know the audience so well. You're so passionate about your content. How have you shifted your whole engagement with the audience with everything that's been going on? You know, this is actually super interesting because most of that was just organic, right? Like I don't, 
I just really love people. Like I'm one of the few writers you will meet who is extroverted and who actually likes people. Most, most writers I interact with are super introverted and they really don't like anyone, which is why they write books because they're creating people that they can like. So interacting with the audience, especially like the middle grade and young adult audiences is my favorite part of the job. However, I find that during quarantine, having to take a step back, I needed to kind of chill out a little bit. So engagement for me right now looks like posting first chapter Friday videos on Instagram and doing a live every week with Angie Thomas. And just we're just keeping it very chill, which is nice. It's really nice. I'm appreciating the downtime. Well, we actually brought you to talk about a book that is coming out soon, <laughs> Shuri. One of the best characters in the Marvel Universe, Shuri, is phenomenal. But we want to know a little bit about you. Like, how did you first get started in writing? What was the path that drove you to wanting to write books? It was a kind of a weird one. I didn't start writing until I was 28. I will be 35 in July of this year. So I've only been writing for seven years. And it took me a while to even think it was a thing that I could do, um, largely because I never really saw anybody like me doing it. And I never saw anybody like me in the stuff that I like to read. As much as I loved Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and Zora Neale Hurston and Ralph Ellison and like all of these really amazing African-American authors who were super popular during the Harlem Renaissance and whose literature has kind of like set the bar for African-American literature. There was a lot in there that I just couldn't relate to in a sense, especially at like 16 or 17, right? Like at 16 or 17, I'd never had to escape slavery and like kill my toddler, like in Beloved. Like I, as much as that book was, it was like an awesome book. The writing was great. The paragraphs were like two pages long. There were things about it that I just didn't connect with. Like it wasn't, it was a mirror in a way, but not exactly. So it took me a while to even recognize the fact that like the stuff I did like to read, like stuff like Gossip Girl, like I had this like Gossip Girl phase just after I graduated from high school. It took me a minute to realize that I could not only write that stuff, but write myself into it. What flipped the switch was Veronica Ross Divergent of all things. Uh, the first book series, the first trilogy I ever read where the black character lives all the way through the end. Mm -hmm. And it was like an awakening for me. So at 28, I sat down and I tried, I did, I wrote my first ever novel, which is actually on Wattpad now, if anybody is interested. This is another thing I've been doing during quarantine is putting my first novel up on Wattpad chapter by chapter. That's awesome. It's not great. Like it's not a great <laughs> it's not a great novel. But I mean that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Like I think it's important for people to see where you started out. So yeah, I wrote it. It's called Little Spark. It was like five hundred pages. It's ridiculous. But you know, you try once and then you try again and then you try again and eventually somebody's like, Oh, you're actually not too bad at this. What are you drawn towards from a narrative perspective? What is the thing that gets you excited? to start a story and, and put pen to paper? All of my stories start with something that is bothering me, which is why all of them <laughs> at this point <laughs> have some kind of 
quote unquote issue at the center. So Dear Martin was race relations and systemic racism. Odd One Out is homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, rainbow phobia, basically. Uh, Jackpot is economic inequality. Clean Getaway is um, civil rights history, but from like a younger perspective. So it's like Dear Martin, I call it Dear Martin Light because it's written for eight to 12 year olds. And then Dear Justice, which will come out after Shuri, it comes out in September of 2020. That one is about the juvenile justice system. So like it always starts with something that's just getting under my skin, some unfairness or something unjust or some way that people harm each other. And I like picking those things, teasing those things apart and trying to get to the center of them and why they exist the way that they do and like what we can do to not necessarily undo them, but like kind of work against them. So once you feel like you have that thing, that element that is like, this is the thing that's bothering me, do you start doing research? Do you talk to people? What's your process? Of kicking it off. So I am really meticulous. I have a mnemonic (laughs) for my process. I only eat raspberries. So the I is for inspiration, which is when I get the idea. The O is organization. I take notes. I buy a composition notebook and I'll like fill it with notes and lines of dialogue and character names and traits and plot points, et cetera, et cetera. And once there are enough things in there, I will organize all of that mess into an outline. Like I cannot function without one. And then I move into execution, uh, which is when I write a draft. And then the R is revision, which is by far my least favorite part. Mm-hmm. It is the worst <laughs> and also the most important. Yeah. yeah. And at what point then do you feel comfortable enough to take it to an editor or your agent and be like, okay, this is what I want to put out into the world? Well, it depends. So with YA in middle grade, I turn in first drafts because with my contemporary stuff, I've been with the same editor from the beginning and I just sold three more books to her. So like books one through nine will all be with the same delightful woman, which is really exciting. And then when it comes to newer projects, where if I'm like trying to break into a new space. Like when I was trying to move into middle grade, I had to submit an entire manuscript. So like I went through a pretty meticulous process of like editing with my agent and then that went on submission. And then I'm trying to move into adult, the adult space now. So it'll be the same thing. I won't do an entire manuscript, but I'll do like a pretty intensive proposal that'll have probably a synopsis and an outline and a few sample chapters. And we'll work that pretty intensely until my agent thinks it's ready. Well, for Shuri, so if there's an idea or a, a wrongness in the world that sparks your writing, what was the thing for Shuri for you? Man, this is the most fun. These Shuri books are the most fun I have ever had on a book writing thing. So with the first Shuri book, it's climate change is kind of at the core of that book. And it's about the heart-shaped herb and how the heart-shaped herb is dying and she has to figure out why and save it because if she doesn't, there won't be able to be any more Black Panthers. So like the research process for a project like this is reading comics and watching movies. (laughs) And I don't think there is anything cooler or more exciting than that combing through old, old 1968 Black Panther comics was probably my favorite part back when Stan Lee was writing them. Looking at the art back then, looking at the dialogue, the way that it all 
played out. It is hysterical. Like, it's really, really funny looking at it now and then comparing it to like what Ta-Nehisi Coates is doing. So like a lot of it, a lot of this project was getting very intimately acquainted with Black Panther lore and seeing how the different iterations of all of the characters have changed over time. Shuri was introduced in the early 2000s, I think, with Reginald Hudlin. Like he's he's the person who introduced Shuri to the Marvel Universe and she is 19 or so. She's in her like late teens, early 20s. The first time we meet her, she is wanting to challenge the standing Black Panther so that she can take over the mantle and T'Challa beats her to it, basically. So like even meeting her in that iteration told me things about who she was at the outset and then getting to kind of play around and build in a backstory because she doesn't really have one. So getting to write her younger than that and build in this space between when her father dies and when we see her for the first time was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to work at least kind of from afar on, on Shuri because I've been on the Marvel end in terms of like reviewing the manuscript and just figuring out what we wanted. So Shuri is a as we mentioned earlier, is a partnership with Scholastic that we did. And it's the first time that we're doing a middle grade prose book about Shuri in this iteration. And I was so excited. Honestly, it's so good. I'm not just saying this because like Nick is here and I work at Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I genuinely am telling you guys, it's such a great book to share with your friends, family, people really of all ages. Because like you don't, your writing does not pander to a particular audience. It's very straightforward and Shuri is very realized. Uh, but I'm actually, I'm curious to know what is the uniqueness of Shuri from your perspective in this particular story? So my favorite thing about, she is so smart, right? And as a black woman who was a black girl who was constantly made fun of for being smart, having the opportunity to like write a character who is like me, who loves math, loves science, wants to pick the world apart and figure out how it works and then put it back together to make it work better. That has been an experience that is second to none. And that's what makes her so different from really everybody else. She's she's younger and she's also brilliant. Like she's smarter than Bruce Banner. She's smarter than Tony Stark. Like nobody could tell me that Shuri's not the smartest person in the Marvel Universe because I say that as a person who had to consult, I cannot tell you how many experts <laughs> to write one character. I had to consult somebody who is a, an expert in electromagnetism, somebody who knows how hovercrafts work, somebody who's in cybersecurity. Like the number of people I had to consult to make sure like the science and the terminology was correct just to write her. Like <laughs> she is, she's really something, man. Like she made you smarter. She did make me smarter. <laughs> I, can, I can totally break down Einstein's theory of relativity now just from working on these books. And I can tell you all about vibranium, which doesn't even exist. But I had to learn about sound waves and how sound functions in order to understand vibranium. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been so cool. I love the combination of like real science that morphs into fake science when you're writing for comics. It's like, yes, you become so much smarter and then slightly less smart just because you have to add on all these layers to it. 
Yes. Do you ever like accidentally use a comics word like vibranium in a conversation? Everyone's like, what are you talking about? Oh, That's totally. Not real. Totally. <laughs> or I'll, I'll even like mention what I'll talk about Wakanda like I've been there. I'll be like, yeah, you know, in Wakanda, this I, is how such and such works. I hear it's, I hear it's great in the springtime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think? Do you think that that was one of the challenges of writing this book specifically, like tackling a wide variety of topics? Honestly, nothing about writing Shuri has been hard besides like world building. So I write contemporary fiction. And part of the reason I write contemporary fiction is because I don't have to build a world. Like I could be like, we were in Atlanta. And then people are like, oh, okay, I know what that means. And I can just move to the next sentence. But with this, I'm like, yes, in Wakanda, in Birnanzana, where the trees are this tall and there's a baobab tree. And it means this, like, and there's all of this detail that I have to work in so that people actually can get a picture of a place that doesn't exist. That was the trickiest part. But when it came to writing her and writing like her speech and her mannerisms, she just came very naturally to me. And I think it's like I said, because she is a person that I'm really deeply able to identify with. I remember going to see the film and leaving the theater and saying to my husband, I have to figure out a way that I can write a book about Shuri. Like, mm. she is a person that I have to figure out how I can write a book about her. And then six months later, I get this email asking me if I wanted to write a book about her. And I no lost way. my mind in an airport. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in Amarillo, Texas, leaving a school visit. And I get this email asking if I wanted to write this book. And I literally screamed. And I think... It's a surprise to me that like nobody called security because I like <laughs> yelped out loud. And it has been really fun and exciting. I love the dynamic between T'Challa and Shuri in this book because it's one of those things where it's like also, again, from a totally different angle, but it's a relationship that I feel like I can't get enough of. And I thought you did such a great job. What do you think their relationship is ultimately all about? So I have younger siblings. So like in this instance, I would be T'Challa and my little brother would be Shuri. And I just took our dynamic and I flipped it. So mm. you have this big brother who is protective, but who also really has a lot of faith in his little sister. And they have this mutual respect and admiration that I think is really awesome. Um, so I tried to kind of play that up. But of course, they're also siblings. So she calls him like a knucklehead and things like that. Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of banter and those kinds of things. And he does get a little overprotective at times. But the most important thing to me in books, no matter what kind of books I'm writing, are the relationship dynamics. Because books are about people. Like even books about cats and dogs are actually about people and human characteristics. So making sure that the relationships are not only authentic, but that they are edifying and that like if they aren't edifying, there's something else involved in the relationship that creates some kind of edification. Those are the things that are super important to me. It's also the same reason I gave Shuri a best friend. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to see her interacting with another female character her age, especially at like 13 your friends are really important. So it was important to me to give her some kind of person her age to bounce things off of who's different from her. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like your other books, your other writing experiences have fed into Shuri in some way into this writing experience? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's wild writing about 
quote unquote issues all the time means I can infuse an issue into anything. Like I can write a picture book and infuse an issue in there somewhere. So like I said, the issue in this one is kind of uh, climate change. And there's also a moral dilemma that she's dealing with. And it's in writing these other heavier books that I'm able to kind of weave in these themes into a book that's basically a fantasy, you know, like it's not, it seems real because of the way it's become a part of our culture, but Wakanda sadly doesn't actually exist. So I'm writing a fantasy novel about some pretty real stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably one of the best things about writing superheroes is that, you know, they're fictional, they're fantasy, but they have always adhered to what the moment is now, especially, you know, kids and teenagers. This can be a great moment for them because they really care a lot about climate change. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a great way for them to, you know, read something in a fictional universe, but like, get it. Like, like, oh, Sherry gets it. I get it. So this is real. Yeah. I think that's my favorite thing about our books and our stories and just storytelling in general. And I think it's very specific to superhero stories. It's like writing about the world, sort of your hopes for the world and your hopes for humanity, your hopes for like the characters and the ideals of those characters that you hope people will embody. I guess what are your hopes in terms of the kinds of conversations that you want to be able to start, but also for your audiences and what they pull, not even just from from Shuri, but from your narrative and your bodies of work. Like, what do you want your audiences to feel after they put down a Nick Stone book? I want people who read my books to recognize that humans are human and that, you know, everybody is worthy of respect and everybody has something inside of them to offer the world that nobody else has. And when it comes to young people specifically, like that is the most important thing to me is that they come out of a book feeling empowered, right? Especially with Shuri. With Shuri, I want young people, specifically young girls, to recognize that like, yeah, you are smart and it is cool to be smart and you can offer so much to the world through your intelligence. And I just want people to be better to each other and to recognize you know, everybody is fighting some kind of battle. Like everybody is dealing with something at some point. And I think empathy is sadly becoming a bit of a lost art. So I write with it in mind that hopefully a person can pick up a book that I've written, read about an experience that's different from their own and like come to recognize that, oh wait, there are things about this that I understand or things about this that I can connect with. And that they come out of it more aware of themselves and more aware of other people as a result. That's so appropriate. Like, I feel like people are becoming a lot more, like, judgmental, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because everyone's getting the short-form version of everything, of experiences of life. Like, it's what's in a tweet, what's in an Instagram post, and they have an opinion almost immediately, but no one is kind of getting into the dirt of what's actually going on. Yeah, I agree. And, like... The other piece is like there's just this lack of critical thinking and it's exactly what you're saying because we're all expected to make these snap judgments and to have an opinion or thought about a thing instantly, right? Like you get, Mm -hmm. what, 280 characters in 45 seconds to respond to a thing in order for that response to be seen. And that's just not a great way to go about forming opinions and interacting with other people, I don't think. So even the opportunity to think critically based on something you've read in a book, I think, is one 
that's an opportunity I would hope that my books are presenting to people. I do hope like I have a bunch of nephews and nieces and I hope that they're critically thinking about everything around them and not necessarily snapping to judgment. I think that's the challenge that we should have for the next generation. But in terms of getting people activated and specifically younger audiences, because you talk a lot about how you want, you know, kids to see themselves in your writing. What's a good way for young people to to find their voice and find their craft? Like, do you have any advice, whether they're aspiring writers or scientists, but people trying to find their passion and their craft? How do we what would you recommend to people to, to be able to explore and find that? My first recommendation will always be keeping a journal. Even for people who don't like to write, there's something very powerful about recording your thoughts and feelings about a thing, especially in a way where it's not likely to be seen by anybody else. Like I find that I get to the deepest truths of my own thinking and my own feelings just by writing them out. And it has helped me to see things that I like, things that I don't like, things that I want to do, things that I really don't want to do, all because I am expressing things that I typically wouldn't express aloud. Uh, so that's one thing. And then I, my second piece of advice is to kind of like find your tribe, right? Like it's having people around you who understand what your interests are, who understand why you're interested in those things and who can support you in those interests is vital. And this is one of the things I love about the internet is that you can find these pockets of community where, oh, look at that. There's a group here. There's an online group here for people who are Dragon Ball Z stands. Like there's a group over here for people who cosplay nothing but Captain Marvel. Like there, there's all of these different pockets of the Judy. internet. Hey, Judy. <laughs> <That's me>. <laughs> <laughs> there are all of these different pockets of the internet where you can find your people. So yeah, journal, get your thoughts together, and then strike out and find the people who are interested in the things that you're interested in. It's funny you say that because I started journaling after a while, actually. I used to do it a while, a long time ago, but now I'm like so in my own head, in my own space. And I feel like historically, we should all be chronicling our like quarantine experiences. Yes, right? absolutely. I want to like do a time capsule. Like you, I put oh all God. of this quarantine stuff in a time capsule and bury it somewhere. And uh, in 10 years, we'll dig it up and see what was happening. I did a time capsule when I was young it was I'm I was such a boring child I think because the thing that I put in my time that's capsule, probably a lie Sada <laughs> nerd uh the thing that I put in my time capsule probably because I forgot and I was lazy so it all kind of makes sense for my my life experience was a pen I put a pen <laughs> in the time capsule because I wondered well I guess I was kind of smart because I was like I wondered how people would be communicating, like what the form of technology for pens would be in the future. And it's just that's, a pen. That's still a pen. Sana, that's, mean, not, that's actually genius. It is pretty genius. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> I mean, my, guess... my kid, like <laughs> yeah. my seven-year-old, he's doing this remote school thing. And I have to force him to write because he would rather just type it on his iPad. And I'm like, no, use your hand. I need you to be able to write because if there's like an electromagnetic pulse and like suddenly all the electricity is gone and the internet's dead, what are you going to do to communicate? That's so true. Well, it's funny because during my journaling yesterday, my hand started hurting and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I haven't written this long. There it is. Oh yeah. Exercise, I'm sure if I started memory. like 
<laughs> writing again. <laughs> I just want to like chime in against the community thing because I really do think that is so important, Nick. It's like well, we talk about the idea of community on this podcast all the time, but like in this moment, in this time, like my friends and the fact that we can get on a video chat and have like 30 people on screen and we can just someone can just sit there and listen someone else can have a conversation it literally is the night and day of this moment at the beginning of the podcast you were talking about your live streaming like get on on that stuff yo like there is a community out there even in the darkest moments in your home where you think that you're all alone nick this has been so amazing so shuri a black panther novel is coming out may 5th Mm mm-hmm it's also really pretty. Like it's the book so itself is really pretty. And there, I'm going to drop a secret. There are maps inside. So oh like, my God, the maps are my favorite part. Like you should definitely, even if you don't read the book, get it just so that you know where Wakanda actually is. Yeah. Well, also like the, the map of Wakanda where things are. Yes. It's so great. I'm looking at it right now. It's I love fabulous. It. Yeah. And it's, I think they did like purple ink or something. Like it's like a very yeah. pretty, very pretty book. Yeah. I feel so excited. I wrote a pretty book. You Yay. did say it's a, it's a good looking book. It's a good looking book. Yeah. The words are pretty great too. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I know with the book coming out, you might be sequestered at home, Nick, but you're everywhere. Where can people find you online? I am at Nick Stone. On Instagram, that's N-I-C-S-T-O-N-E. Get Nicked on Twitter, which has like a whole backstory that I won't get into right now, but <laughs> G-E-T-N-I-C-C-E-D on Twitter. And I am the actual Nick Stone on Wattpad. And I don't really mess with any of those other ones. TikTok seems cool, but I'm like, but you're like 34. Maybe not. I don't know. It's okay. Everyone can do it. <laughs> I'm, I refuse because I just, I don't want to start giving myself dance challenges because I will. I'm very serious about it. (laughs) And also, guys, you should definitely check out Nick Stone on Instagram because she's got some awesome – your looks, your looks on it are just so dope. Yeah, your looks. (laughs) Small lipstick colors, hair. Oh, God, so good. I'm getting inspiration. Lately, it's just like pajamas and leggings. You look good in all of it. Appreciate it. Yeah. So this has been super fantastic. Nick, thanks for taking the time away from your couching or whatever else. That children, you're doing children. Thank you for children. giving me this time away yes. from the children. I appreciate it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Thanks again, Nick. Sure. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks again to Nick for joining us. She's such a strong voice in the YA literature community, and it was such a pleasure to get to talk to her face-to-face. Shuri, a Black Panther novel, comes out May 5th and is available for pre-order right now. You guys can pick the book up online or reach out to your local bookstore to ask about services they may offer, including curbside pickups, special deliveries, or other options. It's so important right now and always to support your local businesses. I think it's safe to say that both Nick and Shuri are amazing role models for girls and women everywhere. So let me ask you, are there any real life women who, especially during this crisis, you look up to? Um, Personally, for me, it's my friends. You know, I always talk about how community is so important and just having my friends 
especially in this moment right now for me, uh, is just so great. From all the different women who reached out to me in the last week or so, to just my video chats with my friends, uh, to people sending me like gifts at Animal Crossing. We're going to talk about Animal Crossing. Sorry, guys. Um, it's only the support of the women around me that the next few weeks or months are going to be a little bit better. And I just want to say my mom. Aw, um, mom. I know. <laughs> she is such a great support for me. She's really been there to sort of help me out, sending me really cute little emails or texts. My 74, almost 75-year-old mom figured out how to use gifts. But <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sana? Um, I have to say, I feel like we talk a lot about empowering women and telling women that they can be powerful. And I, and I realize like, it's less about telling them they can be and just reminding them that they already are. Like this, this concept of empowerment is always like, it's overdone because women have had this incredible power and strength in them for so long. Like I think about my mother and I think about like, she's raised six children. She's birthed four. She adopted my dad's youngest siblings, brought them over from Pakistan when they were very young and she raised them as her own. And she has been through a lot and now she's, at home with my dad, who unfortunately has been sick for some time, and she's just been taking care of him by herself, and she's, like, you know, in her late 70s. I won't say her age because she'll get mad at me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she's she just has this really incredible strength in her, and, and I have, like, this urge to protect her because she's my mom, and, like, I think as as our parents get older, we worry about them. As our moms, like, seem more vulnerable to things, you worry about them. And I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, actually, my mom is really strong and women are actually really strong. We we go through so much and we're resilient and we wake up the next day and we figure out, you know, how to make breakfast or something, you know, like it's it's really incredible. And, and I think it's it is particular to women for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know how. But my mother is just one of those big role models for me. And then also I want to give a shout out to my cousin, Jamana. She is a healthcare worker. She's at the front lines in Chicago every single day, literally saving lives. She has had a really rough go, but she's showing up every day. Um, she's a respiratory therapist, so she's the one who's intubating people. She's seeing a lot, but she's so tough and she's so strong. So shout out to the women who might think that they're weak and vulnerable, but this is just a quick reminder. You guys have more power and strength than you can imagine. So if you guys out there, if there's a woman you want to shout out for being an inspiration, do let us know. Send us an email to womenof at marvel.com or tweet us at marvel using the hashtag womenofmarvel. So it's been another week where we're hanging out at home all the time. Uh, What have you been up to, Sana? So I'm feeling very nostalgic these days, and I'm trying to kind of catch up on, like, things that made me feel cozy and bring me a sense of comfort, including like old movies, also like old snacks. I don't know. This is like a thing that I guess a lot of people are doing, but I just found Captain Crunch Berries. Yeah, no, literally like the (laughs) stuff I used to eat when I was like 10. So I just found Captain Crunch Berries and it was, I was so excited because I couldn't find it for so long. And I'm just so happy I have Captain Crunch because I used to eat that every day, especially for my Saturday morning cartoons. As we all know, my obsession with the X-Men, I did watch some Batman as well. Shh, don't tell anyone. And shh, I know. Shh. <laughs> and I used to have my Captain Crunch berry. So now that is like my safety net. 
So in the vein of nostalgia, I'm actually going back and rereading a lot of our classic Marvel runs too, um, because again, same kind of feeling. So we actually have a bunch of books that are free via Marvel Unlimited that you guys can check out if you have on your computer, on smartphone, on your tablet, whatever. And I've reread Civil War, which is one of those that are free. I'm actually reading a bunch of old stuff as well, including House of M and Eternals. But Civil War is by Mark Millar and um, Steve McNiven. It's probably, I think, one of the best Marvel stories of all time. Like, it's just so fantastic. I had never really read a series like that before just because it felt very cinematic. And as you guys know, of course, there's been a movie that is a really fantastic movie as well. Um, But just every single panel... And that's just the way that Steve draws. But every single panel felt like a widescreen shot from a film. And Mark actually was one of the first people I worked with when I first got started at Marvel. He worked on Ultimate Avengers. That was a series that I worked on. And I learned so much from him. I was also so shocked by him because that man has a very wild imagination and he does some crazy storytelling and it surprises you every single time. So I've never like screamed in a script before and Mark just loves shock and awe um, and Civil War is just a great example of that a very intense series and I uh, highly recommend it it's probably a great place for people to start kind of even just getting into Marvel or wherever you are it's just a classic classic series Civil War came out 14 years ago when I started at Marvel oh my god why are you trying to age yourself <laughs> Um, so I've been getting my social interactions via like all the amazing sort of like live streams that everyone's been doing. It's really just been great to sort of watch the the live streams that we've been doing every day. We've been having artists, including some of our own coworkers, do how to draws every week, which is great. Brian Crosby, uh, who is part of Themed Entertainment, kicked off the first one of those. You can go back and watch them on our YouTube. It's just like really like I feel like I'm in the room with them because I miss them. I'm really enjoying it. And if you guys just want to see what's happening each week on Marvel Live, you can head over to Marvel's Twitter or Instagram. Uh, They got the schedule up every week. That's it for this week. We'll check you guys next time. This is Marvel, your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg, along with me, Sana Amanath, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Roche. Our audio development manager is Kieran Heffa, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio.